If you're turning with me in your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn to, we're going to start in Matthew 5. Good to be home. We had an awesome trip last week to Colorado, refreshing and just filling and not just a vacation, but a spiritual retreat. Um, so I'm sure you'll be, you'll hear some more about that a little bit in the message and throughout the next few weeks, just some deposits that God made into me and into us. And Jesse cried multiple times, so that's a surprise, huh? Um, but so today, I'm trying to cut this thing down a little bit because since I didn't get to preach last week, I got a lot of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. So uh, I know I, I don't want to lose you or bore you, so I'm going to try to try to cut it off. But today I wanted to talk to you about light, life, love, food, uh, trips, Colorado, my boys, airports, pastors, limits, serving, and a few other things. Um, but uh, I know we only have about 30 to 45 minutes, so let's hurry up. <clears throat> you know when you're at a restaurant, I don't know if this happens to y'all, but it happens to me a lot because usually when I'm at a restaurant with somebody, it's because we're there for a meeting or we're there to talk. But you know how, like, you'll order your food and you start talking and uh, the food comes. And you're in the middle of talking, so they start eating and you're talking and everybody else at the table kind of finishes their food and you've still got most of your food left there because you've been sitting there talking. And then... The waitress or the waiter will come up and start clearing plates. And they'll reach and try to grab my plate when over half my food's still left on the plate. Hey, hope I'm not finished yet. And just because I've been talking or I hadn't ate my food yet, sometimes you want to like slap them. I started scheduling all my meetings now. I, when I meet with Steve a couple times a month or different people where I know I'm gonna be doing a lot of talking. That's why I started scheduling them at Highland. I mean, I like the food, but Journey's our waitress. And Journey knows me well enough to know if there's a piece of food left on the plate, I'm not done. Don't take it. I'm not finished. I don't know if that happens to y'all, but it happens to me. Look at somebody and say, I'm not finished yet. I'm looking for some people that aren't satisfied with yesterday being the end of their story. And I feel like that's what God's looking for. That we're not okay with yesterday being the end. Whether it was good or bad, it was in the past. And we're not finished yet. But the best way to stop growth in your life is to say, oh, I'm finished I'm done. There's nothing else I can do. I'm too old. I'm too poor. I'm too whatever excuses you want to put on yourself that limit you, that say, I'm finished. You know what? I can't do that. And we start making excuses, and we stop the growth. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not finished. Yesterday, the past... There was some greatness. There were some hard things, good things, bad things, but it wasn't the end. 
It wasn't the end of my story. And I hope it wasn't the end of yours. So stop putting limits on God. We can all make excuses. That's easy. That, that comes natural. Little kids make excuses. You don't have to be taught how to make an excuse. That's easy. See, we want to see God's kingdom where we can live in His kingdom and walk in His kingdom and keep moving forward. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live in the kingdom? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Because sometimes it doesn't make sense. What Jesus taught, how we should live, how we should act, how we should live our lives, a lot of times doesn't make sense to our brain. It's not natural. Jesus came to teach a new way. Look, we were coming through the airport the other day, and we're going through security. And there were several things, and, you know, we don't, obviously, we don't fly very much. It was all three of the boys' first time ever flying. And Malachi's 16, so coming through the airport, there's a lot of new things we got to experience this past week. And the security guard, me and Jesse thought it was interesting that he asked Sky several specific questions that he wanted him to answer. Now, I don't know if Jesse thought maybe they were you know, screening him to make sure for he wasn't being trafficked or something because they asked him, where are you from? Uh, where are you headed? Several questions like that that he needed to answer. But I thank God he got it right. He's got it. Doesn't look good if I'm giving him the answers. <laughs> he got it right. But then the funny thing was, when I came through, I was the last, and I came through, and the security guard asked me, has anyone put anything in your bag without you knowing? I looked at him. He said, well, have they? And I was like, not that I know of, but how would I know if they did it without me knowing? And he just kind of smiled and said, good point. Go ahead. That makes no sense. Has anyone put anything in your bag without you knowing? I don't know. If I knew, then no, but never mind. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes I look at Jesus' teachings and compare them to my feelings, and they're kind of like that. Like, it doesn't really make sense, Jesus. Like, turn the other cheek, like, serve somebody, or give when. I don't have it, or sometimes it doesn't make sense. So look at what Jesus said about the kingdom. This is the most famous sermon there probably is, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was teaching people about this new kingdom. He's teaching the multitudes, and He's teaching the disciples. And I'm going to read you Matthew Chapter 5, verse 38 uh, through 42. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. And then we're going to look how King James words. 
King James words, verse 41. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that, is that going to get us anywhere? Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. What? Jesus, you're telling me if somebody sues me and we go to court and I lose, not only to give them what they sued me for, but go ahead and give them a little extra. Make a gift out of it. Well, that's not what I feel like doing in the natural. That doesn't even really make sense. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Well, I've been wronged. No more tit for tat stuff. Jesus said this is the, that was the old way. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Tit for tat, I deserve this. That's not fair. Jesus said that's not Christianity. I, I came to bring a new way. God's kingdom looks different than that. No more tap for, tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Give of yourselves. Live openly. Give. Watch my example. Look how I do it. The verse we just read, uh, verse 41. I'll read it to you in the King James because that's probably how you've heard it. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. I like King James. Twain. <laughs> and this saying has become popular even to people that aren't Christians. You'll, say, you'll hear people say, go the extra mile. Yeah, when you're doing that, make sure you go the extra mile. Work hard. Do extra. Go the extra mile. Um, because Jesus said if they ask you to go one mile, go the extra mile. So, see, back then they were under... Roman rule, so Roman soldiers were walking around with these big heavy packs that would weigh an average over 100 pounds, between 100 and 150 pounds. They would carry all their gear and everything that they would need to carry around. And by law, they could walk up to one of the Jews or walk up to anybody walking up and down the streets and they could say, hey, you, carry my pack. And you had to, by law, carry it for one mile. Wherever they were going. Wherever they said, oh, I'm headed up toward Walmart. You had to drop what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you're in a hurry, if you're busy, if you've got other plans. you got to drop what you're doing, pick up their pack, and carry it for a mile. The Romans thought that they were better than the Jews. They thought that they were better than other people. They looked down upon them, and that's why they had these laws, and they were lording over them or ruling over them 
And Jesus says, I mean, he could have said, like, forgive them or don't be mad at them because you don't deserve that kind of treatment. They're treating you like an old, dirty slave, and they think they're better than you. So just learn how to forgive them. Jesus takes it a step further and said, no, if they ask you that, go ahead and serve them by taking it two miles. And this is where we have a hard time because it's easy for me to wrap my mind around serving somebody that needs it really bad. Serving the homeless or serving someone that I feel in my pride is lesser than me because I have more than them, so I will serve them. But Jesus was saying, no, I want you to serve these guys. They got more money than you, more power than you. They're jerks. They're in the wrong. They're not even of the faith. And I want you to serve them. I want you to serve people that don't even deserve it. I want you to, just, to serve jerks. I want you to serve everybody. Even Serve all people, even rich ones, e even jerks. If they ask you to go a mile, go too, Jesus said. You know, if you're a Christian and you don't do anything for anyone, are you really a Christian? Christian means to be Christ-like little Jesuses. We're supposed to look like Him. And I know a whole lot of people say they're Christians, but no aspect of their life serves anyone but themselves. They don't give of their time, talent, treasures, who they are. They don't serve. They don't give back to humanity. They don't help. That It's just all self. It's all about them whole life is about them. Jesus said, no, I want you to serve everybody. Love people. Give of your time. Give of your money. Give of who you are. I've given you talents and giftings. I would challenge you to take a look at your life and say, how much of my life is focused on me? How much of my money goes to my pleasure, my happiness, my what I want and is any of my life serving someone other than me? Giving to someone or something that's not going to benefit me other than the fact that I'm just serving, giving it away, and I'm, I'm getting the blessing of serving. If there's no area of your life where you're giving or serving, I would say you're missing it somewhere. It's like having a candle with no fire. You got what you need. We all have something we can give to somebody. I mean, it could be a compliment. It could be some help. It could be lunch. It could be a talent. It, I, we all have something we could give. A candle can give light. But it's got to have the fire to shine. It's got to be lit. So some of us need to just go get lit.
so that we can shine. Look at Matthew 5, 13. Oh, you know what? I don't think I gave her this one. That's not Sailor's fault. It's mine. I didn't give her this verse. Matthew 5, 13. Says, let me tell you, this is Jesus still talking. This is just kind of right before the part that I just read you. And Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. It's like, what's the point? If you lose your saltiness, what, what's the point? You're of no use. You'll end up in the, garb, in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. Like a prism. You ever seen a prism when the sun shines into it and then it shoots out all these different rainbow colors all around the room and affects everything? That's how we're supposed to be. And God's light inside of us is shining. We should be reflecting all over the place to the world. Colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. The, the secret sect of covert Christianity where nobody has any idea that we have God or this life-changing power on the inside of us because we keep it so well hidden. What's the point? We're supposed to be light. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Now, it says keep open house, not one time. Not when you're full, not when you feel like it. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. Not just your money. Your stuff, your love, your gifts. Be generous with your whole life. Let people know you of, man, he's a generous person. She's generous. Every time somebody needs help or they're there. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Man. Shine. We're called to be light. We're light bearers. We have light on the inside of us. I started giving you this example last week, but, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if you asked somebody, like when I was a teenager, if somebody said, hey, man, you got a flashlight? I'd say, nope. I'm not a nerd or a security guard. That's the only people that carry flashlights. But now, in 2019, almost everybody you ask has a flashlight on their cell phone. And I don't know all, but me and seems like the people I'm around use them a lot. 
My kids use theirs all the time. If they pull it out, use their flashlight. I use mine all the time. I've used mine this morning in this room. I never had a flashlight before until that app came on my phone. And now I use it all the time. In fact, I never even knew I needed it. I just fumbled around in the dark trying to find the thermometer or the, the thermostat to turn on the air in here when all the lights weren't on. And then this morning, I got a cell phone. I pull it out, flip on that flashlight, and just shine it right over where I need to go and turn on the air in here so it would be cool when everybody got here. But I never knew, I never knew I needed it. We didn't know how bad we needed flashlights until we got it. Um, Psalm 119, verse 105, you know it, it's familiar. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But you never know how much you need it until you start using it. Until you get it in your life and, and you start reading the Word and becoming a doer of the Word like James talks about. And you start having it in you and you let God speak into your life and then it becomes that light like that cell phone. Man, I didn't realize how convenient this would be to have God's Word hidden in my heart. When something hard comes up, it, it says it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Directs my way. I can get somewhere a whole lot safer, a whole lot faster if I have a light. If you try to walk around somewhere in the dark, you're not getting very far very fast. Either you're going so slow to make sure you don't get hurt, or if you are going fast and it's dark, you may get hurt or stub your toe or run into a wall. Or So His Word will light our path. I've learned two very important things recently. I don't remember the first one, but the second one is write everything down. <laughs> you forget stuff. I encourage you to take notes of church and take notes when you're reading and studying when you read the word and God speaks something to your heart to, to write it down and go back and listen to it and, and be a student of the word there's so many things that I forget that I hear and I think oh that's good and I've gotten to where I write down my kids will tell you I got notebooks slammed in all my desk drawers in my office and I carry around my briefcase everywhere I go and I got my notebooks and all my little notes and stuff I write down. Why? Because when God speaks something to me, I want to remember it. And when something happens, I, I want to hear His Word. When I'm, when I'm reading the Bible and I, I hear God speak something, I write it down. So I encourage you to take notes. Um, they did a study and showed that if you hear something, like just in here, for instance... On a Sunday morning, you come in here and listen to the message, and you just sit there and listen, then the average person retains 5% of what is said. 
only 5% of what is said. So I might spend 30 or 30 or 40 hours studying for a message for all 100% of what I would stand up here and say. And if you just sit there and listen, you retain about 5% of that. 95% you don't remember. Um, and then the study shows that if you take notes, your retention rate goes up to 30% average. If you go back and look back over your notes at a later time or re-listen to it on if it's recorded or something and look over your notes while you re-listen to it, they say that you'll retain 90 to 95% of what was said. That's a huge jump. What does that take? Being a student, learning. It's the same in the classroom. I mean, you can go and just sit there and listen. But if you're not, you're not writing anything down, you're not learning, you're not going back and thinking about it at a later time or reading your notes or looking like, you forget. So why are so many people just seem to be not effective or not living their best life, not living in the kingdom, just making it. I think it's because they stopped trying, quit or give up, or the excuses become louder than purpose, than the reason to keep pushing. I hear people talk about our freedom. In God, and somebody asked me, well, how do you say you have freedom, but then you have rules, and God puts stuff on you, but are you free, or are you under the law? And the best way, we talked about this in warrior training for a while, and the best example I can come up with is when I go out here on I-20, there's a limit that has been put in place. For my safety, or and I can't of the people around me. And that is that I can't go below 40 miles an hour, and I can't go above 70 miles an hour. That's the speed limit on I-20, except for most of the state of Georgia where construction traffic's going on, and it's like 55 or something. But normally, if there's not construction going on, there's been a limit put there. Now, I have the freedom to go 56 miles an hour or 69 and a half or 45 but please if you choose that freedom stay in the right lane thank you <laughs> but I have the freedom to go within the limits I have boundaries in my life I have boundaries that are set by the word. I, I'm not going to go out and murder somebody. I have freedom within my boundaries. And why are the boundaries there? To keep me safe and the people that I love safe. I just went and lived this reckless life with no boundaries. Then it would be dangerous for me and everybody that's in relationship with me. You wouldn't want to get close to me because I'd probably hurt you. If I had no limits... If I had no boundaries,
I made up this statistic. Um, just putting that out there before I give it to you. But I'm pretty sure it's true. I've tested it a lot. 99% of all limitations are self-imposed. They could be talking about good ones or bad ones. But most of the limitations in your life, almost all, are put there by you. We put them on ourselves. But when you put a limit or you say, I'm finished. Remember, I'm not finished yet. When you say, I'm finished on any area of your life, you stop the growth in that area. And now that can be a good thing if you're stopping the growth on a bad area or a bad thing. You see you have a tendency to be an alcoholic and you put a limit, I'm not going to drink. You stop the growth in that area so you don't become destructive or destroy your life or your purpose or your call or your family or whatever. That's, that can be putting a limit stops the growth in an area that way. But it also stops the growth in areas where growth would be a good thing. We put limits or we say, I'm finished. Oh, I can't grow anymore in that area. Oh, I can't learn anymore. Then you never will. I got to call somebody to fix my truck because I'm no good with vehicles. Or you can sit around watching YouTube and fix your own truck, right, Canaan? I mean, you put the limits on yourself. What you want to learn, what you want to put in, what you want to do. Or you can stop the growth. Oh, I can't do that. Then you probably can't. The man who thinks he can and the man who thinks he can't are both usually right. We put limits on ourselves. I'm not finished yet. You ever been maybe lecturing one of your children? And one of them looks at you and says, are you finished yet? That's never happened to me, but I know some of y'all's kids are real smart Alex, Rebellious. <laughs> I know Susan's got a couple that are. <laughs> My Susan, I mean mom. <laughs> are you finished yet as a parent? If I'm lecturing you and you say that to me, then I'm definitely not finished. In fact, you just gave me a whole lot more I need to go over and talk about. Nope, we're not finished. In fact, we're just getting started. Thank you for the revelation of your heart. You finished yet? Or, I am so over it. Maybe God's asking you today, are you finished? You finished yet? Well, when will I change the world? When you at some point in your life decide that something is more important than your life, that's when you'll start to make a difference. 
And it's not all about you anymore. It's not about self-fulfillment. It's about self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus said. That's what God's kingdom is like. They slap you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Give, serve, love. Remember, we won't turn there, but in John 5, there's the story of the man that's laying by the the pool of Bethesda. And there's all these sick people, and they congregate on these porches around this pool. And it's like porches where all these sick people come needing a healing from God. And they wait on the water to move and when the water moves, they, they believe that the first one into the water is going to be healed and they're going to be set free. And this dude's been laying there and comes into town. Jesus comes on the scene and all these people are gathered around what they believe is the movement, the miracle spot, the place where they could find healing, the place where they could be whole. Where, and they're all crowded up on these porch with a other people with similar problems and brokenness gathered up on this porch and Jesus comes and there's there would have been maybe hundreds of people all around this pool waiting for their chance at healing you remember the story he goes to the lame man and he's been there for 38 years 38 years he's been laying on the porch around other people laying in their brokenness not moving done he found all the other people like him he was lame for 38 years that was longer than Jesus had even been alive so when Mary had Jesus there in the barn this dude was already laying up there by that pool. Jesus grew up, started his ministry, and came around. This dude, that's how long he's been there. That's crazy. And, and when Jesus walked up to him, came up to this guy and said, Do you want to be healed? That's a crazy question. Like to us, when, when I read that story, I think, Of course he wants to be healed. Jesus, you're kind of being rude even asking him that. What do you mean, do you want to be healed? And as soon as Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed, you know what he did? He started making excuses. Well, I got no one to help me down to the water when the water's stirred. I can't even get there on my own. I'm, I'm laying here, and I'm comfortable laying on this porch with other people surrounded by brokenness that make me feel good because we're all in the same boat together and I'm just going to make excuses of why I can't find healing, why I can't walk, why I can't move forward. I'm just going to stay right here. Jesus came for the one. There was a whole multitude of people. And Jesus came for one. Because he said, yeah, I want to be healed. And, and Jesus ends up healing him and tells him to take up his bed. I need you to get up 
pick up your bed. I need you to carry the thing that's been carrying you. In other words, I need you to get up. Okay, I'm going to heal you, but I need you to take some responsibility. I need you to get up and carry that thing and stop letting it be the thing that carries you. I know you've been through some hard things and I know you've had some addiction and I know you had some hurt and I know you had some pain and I know you've had some things to walk through, but now you got to quit riding those things. I need you to get up and carry them. See, they're a part of your story, they're a part of your life, but if you'll pick it up and carry it, I'll use it. I'll make it a testimony, I'll make it part of your purpose. But as long as you keep laying on it and letting it carry you, then it's your label. It's your identity. It's who you are. And you're going to lay on this porch and surround yourself with other people that are living in their brokenness and they're being carried by their issues rather than getting up and carrying your issue. I need you to get up and carry that thing that's been carrying you. And we know the story. We know that he did. Jesus came for one, although there were hundreds there. I'm not looking for a crowd. I'm looking for someone that will say, I'm not finished yet. There's more for me to do. I'll get up. And I'll carry my bed. I'm not finished. Man, I go up to the Blake house and Alex comes with me and Dylan comes with me and we go up there and talk to the guys and uh, we went a few weeks ago whenever the first Monday of of this month we went and when we go in there there's a whole group of guys and some of them are too cool for school and some of them you can tell are just like whatever they're not really paying attention Usually by the end, we can get them interested, and, and I'll go in there and start speaking to them. But when I go in Blake House, it's okay if all of them don't get it. But I'm looking for the one or the ones. I'm looking for a man that has something inside of him screaming, I'm not finished yet. I screwed up. I messed up, I got knocked down, life beat me up, stuff happened, I've been put through stuff, but I'm not finished yet. And you can tell them real quick which ones that is. When we went a few weeks ago, there was one guy that was sitting right in front of me, and as soon as, I mean, I'm talking about five minutes into my message, this guy was crying. He cried the whole entire time. Alex sat there playing the piano, Dylan didn't get to go with us this time, and and like pretty much the whole time I was talking, this guy was crying. And afterwards, I got the chance to talk to him a lot. And uh, he just had something inside of him screaming, I'm not finished yet. It's not over. And just, I really messed up. But And he thanked me so much for coming and just giving him, giving him confidence, giving him hope. That there is a future. When is it over? When you decide you're finished. When will I stop being effective? When you decide it's over.
when you decide you're done, you're still breathing. God's still got purpose for you. God's got a plan. God can use anything and everything that you've been through if you don't decide you're finished and stop. If you don't put limits on yourself to why you can't do anything, why you can't help anybody, why you can't serve anybody, why you can't be powerful in the kingdom of God. It's over when you decide you're finished. Some people live for 25 years and die at age 100. Well, they just stop living. Of course, yeah, they're breathing. They're not really living. You're not enjoying life. You're not helping anybody else along the road. They just, they lose their passion. They lose their fire. Let me read you this little story and and then we'll close. In Joshua 14, Joshua 14, um, verse 5. So you remember the children of Israel, they came out and they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and they come to the promised land and Moses sends out the spies and the spies come back and 10 of them give a bad report that melted the people's heart. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, and we know Joshua would go on and be the leader and lead them into the promised land. And do, Two of them had a good report, Joshua and Caleb. All them other ones had to die in the wilderness, and only Joshua and Caleb got to go in. Not because they were younger, not because they were stronger, not because they were more called, but they believed God. And something inside of them said, we're not finished yet. We can take this land. What God said is true. Yeah, we can do it. That was Caleb's attitude. So they go into the promised land and they take Jericho and they start taking the land and they're going around and God's with them and God's working for them. And they take the whole entire land. And they're like dividing up the land. We're finished. It's over. We're done. Yeah, good job, high fives all around. But wait. As the Lord commanded, so the children of Israel did. And they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Some translations say, don't you remember? Caleb came up to Joshua. Now these two men, we're about to read, but uh, they're both 85 years old at this point. They're the oldest two in their group. Because remember, all the other old dudes died off. And so these are all younger people than them. They're, they're the two old guys that got to go in. So they're the two oldest guys there. And they're both 85 years old. And Caleb comes up to Joshua and said, Hey, old man, don't you remember what God said? Has your memory gotten that bad? Do I need to remind you what God said to us? Verse 7. 
40 years old was I. Picture the old 85-year-old dude. Hey, don't you remember? 40 years old was I. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. As it was in my heart. When they came out of that land, the circumstances didn't look good. There was giants there. The majority said it won't work. We can't take it. We will. But he brought it. He brought the report. He brought him word again as it was in my heart. Not what the crowd said. Not what circumstances said. Not even what reality said. Because in reality, no. They couldn't come out of the desert and take this land from giants. From people that were living there established in walled cities with warriors. How? You know what courage means? To be strengthened of heart. What God said over and over to Joshua, have courage. Be of good courage. He said, I brought him the word that was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said to Moses, Forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm 85 years old. So are you, Joshua. As yet... I am as strong this day as I was the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. The feisty old fella. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there. Those are the giants. And that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what giants are there. Then this, the next verse. Verse 13 says. And Joshua blessed him. And gave unto Caleb the son of Jephnah. Hebron for an inheritance. And Joshua blessed him. How did he bless him? By giving him the only piece of land that was left at war. By giving him a land that was currently inhabited by giants. In fact, the king, if you do a little digging and research, 
And then the Egyptians' history lines up with Scripture telling this story. And this king that it tells about, if you, you read on down the rest of this, Arba, the king that was still there, they said he was a great man among the Anakims. He was one of the greatest giants. The Egyptians recorded his casket had to be this king that was still there ruling the land. They said that his casket, his casket was 13 feet 6 inches tall and 6 feet wide to fit him in it. That's a massive dude. There were giants. There were fenced, walled cities. And so Joshua blessed Caleb by giving him Opposition, war, giants, a challenge that very well could have killed him. Joshua blessed Caleb. We think that blessing equals peace. God's really blessing me right now. That means I'm calm and at peace and I've got everything figured out. Blessing can look like challenge. Everybody else was finished. They were dividing up the land. They were done. Even Joshua. We've done it, boys. You get over here. You get over here. And Caleb's like, I, 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 I'm not finished yet. Nope. Nope. We're going to keep fighting because I'm not done. I want my mountain. I want all that God has for me. I'm going to walk in purpose. Do I need to remind you, Joshua? They were all done, and Caleb said, No. I'm not finished yet. I'm not done. Caleb was 85, and he's screaming, I'm not finished yet. I, I talked to some other pastors that were complaining because they have no they don't have any young people left in their church they can't get the young people to come to the church and the older people are getting older and dying and there's no life they're not doing anything they're trying to do VBS this year and didn't have enough workers because the older people have gotten too old and the young people have quit the church and not coming to the church and stuff like that Say, we need young people. Well, I say, not necessarily. What they need and what we need too is people that are alive. Not just young people. There's some young people that ain't willing to do anything either. It's not about an age, it's about being alive. It's about having that drive in your spirit that says, I'm not finished yet. Here am I, Lord, send me. What do you want me to do? It's not about an age. Use age as an excuse. Oh, I'm too young to do that. Till we get to a certain point and then we can switch it and then start saying I'm too old to do that. And we never do anything because we were always too young until we got too old. We let age become an excuse. I don't need a bunch of young people. That's great. I'm glad. I'm happy if we have a bunch of young people. 
or old people. But I want people that will say, I'm not finished. God's still got more for me to do. So I'm going to press on and take whatever challenges are there. Yesterday's story was good. Yesterday's story was bad. Yesterday, Whatever yesterday's story was, great. But it's not the end of my story. I'm pressing on, like Paul said. One thing I do, I don't have it all together, but one thing I do is forget the past and press on for the prize. The high calling that God has for me in Christ. I've seen 24-year-olds with the strength of a warrior not doing anything. And I've seen 75-year-olds that are fully alive making a difference in the world. It's not about age. So what? You're not as strong and as tough as you were. You don't have to be because now you're smart. (laughs) We were on this trip. There were several other people there from different ministries. And... um, Doug Combs was there, the pastor of Church on Fire in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it's a big church, and they got a whole lot of stuff going on. And I was able to sit and talk with him for a while. And we were sitting talking, and Sky was sitting next to me. And Jesse was on the other side, but Sky wasn't in the conversation. He was just sitting there listening whatever. And Doug's asking me a few questions, and Doug's like, well, so when did you... Uh, when did you start pastoring? Did, didn't your dad start the church? And, you, and I said, yeah. Um, I took over pastoring the church. And I looked at Jesse to get the dates. I said, a little, I think it's a little over 10 years ago. And uh, Sky speaks up, talking to Doug, whom he's never met, and says, uh, yeah, but I'll be taking it over from my dad in two years. over at him like what and so Doug looks at Sky and says you'll be pastoring the church in two years he said yes sir Doug said how old are you he said 11 Doug said so at 13 you're taking over the church Sky said yes sir and then Doug looked at me and said is he your youngest and I said yeah and he said I can tell (laughs) no offense Canaan I can tell. Um, Take it easy. That's probably not going to happen. Don't worry. Those of you that are thinking you may need to start looking for a new church before two years is up. No, that's that's probably not going to happen. But that's the attitude. Hey, I'm not finished. Hey, you have no idea what I'm capable of. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do this thing. I don't care. I'm going to do great things. Like Jesus told that guy on the mat, you you want to be healed? Get up and carry that thing that's been carrying you. You know all the religious people got mad 
there in John 5 when Jesus healed that guy because it was the Sabbath day and they were upset because Jesus wasn't supposed to be doing miracles and he wasn't supposed to be off the mat and it was against the rules and stuff like that. Legalism will keep you on the mat. Rules and trying to follow all the rules and that'll keep you on the mat and make you think that there's no hope. I can't get there even if the water's stirred. I can't be whole. I'm too broken because of the things I've chosen, because of the past, because of my sin. For whatever reason, I can't. That's what legalism will do to you. But after that, Jesus told him the same thing he told the woman caught in the act of adultery, which was go and sin no more. Hey, now that you got up off the mat and now you're carrying that thing that was carrying you, now you need to walk free of sin. Why? Because sin is the one thing that will put you back on the mat. Once you get up, you get lost or trapped in your sin and it will put you back on the mat. It will put you back on that thing and you'll look around and it will be carrying you again. You won't be free because you didn't have boundaries. So there's no freedom. Jesus said, go sin no more. If you just want to go to church, I'm glad you're here. Please keep coming. But if you want to change the world, let's get busy. Let's say I'm not finished yet. And do something. Serve somebody. Get involved. Jesus was finished when his purpose was complete. I think it's no coincidence that the last thing we have recorded that Jesus said from the cross was to telestai, which being translated is it is finished. It's finished. And then he took his last breath. It was over. Jesus finished his mission. His purpose was complete. If you're still breathing, you're not finished yet. Let me ask you a question. Could we put a stamp on your life right now? At this moment in time, could we stamp your life and say, mission complete? If your answer would be yes, or you feel like you've done all that you then you're probably not going to ever accomplish much more in your life. It's not over. Now, for some of you, we could probably put a stamp on there that says Mission Impossible. That, yeah. That one we could put. But not complete. It's not over. What if Jesus, remember when Jesus was in the garden? And uh, the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, and he was sweating drops of blood because, and he was having such great anxiety about what God was calling him to do about his purpose. And he's like, I don't want to do it, Dad. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to run away. What if Jesus would have just said, like, there in the garden, like, this is just too much. It's too stressful. I'm over it. Dad, I know you want to fix relationship with these people, but they're dummies. I'm so over humanity right now. What if that was Jesus' attitude? 
What if Jesus said that in the garden? Let me think about that for a second. I'm finished. Or, you know, like, Jesus could have really gotten some attitudes there. Really? This is the best plan you can come up with, Dad? This is the best group of people you could have surrounded me with? I mean, I got Peter, who's such a hothead and a big mouth. He just chopped somebody's ear off. Did you not see that? He went for the unarmed kid and chopped his ear off, and I had to heal it. You gave me the doubter that doesn't believe anything. You gave me, uh, Thomas, you gave me a couple of brothers that think they're all that. Mama's boys trying to sit on my right hand and my left. And all these Marys, I can't even keep them straight. What are they all named Mary? This could have been Jesus' attitude if it was one of us. And Romans, I'm surrounded by Romans that all they want to do is kill me. I quit. Well, man, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he said I'm not finished yet. It's not over till it's over. He could have easily lived on yesterday. It was pretty impressive. Virgin birth. Never been done before. Ah. Live on that. It's enough. Oh, but then he had three years of miracles. He could have lived off of that. Wrote a few books. Sold a few handkerchiefs. And gotten a weekly show on TBN. He could have lived on yesterday. And not gone to the cross. But Jesus said, no, I'm not finished yet. I'm not going to get caught in the middle. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to walk in purpose. It wasn't finished. The life that God has for you can only come through or as we step into our own crucifixion, our purpose. We want to experience the life of God outside the suffering of Christ. Life's going to tell you give up. I say I'm not finished yet. There's more to do for me, and there's more for you to do too. So slap that hand when they try to take your plate. I'm not finished yet.